pressure, and then we will jump into um, what we started last week. What is God saying about you, and what do you believe about God? All right. So anyway, let's get started. So Father, we just thank you for this day, and we thank you, Lord, for what an awesome God you are. And um, Lord, we would be remiss if we didn't pray for um, what is going on in our county right now with the different fires um, that are going on. Um, as the last I heard, three fires and many evacuations and with the wind and power outages. And Lord, we just look to you. Um, we're praying for those that have been displaced. Some are being displaced from homes, Lord, that they just started building from fires that swept through their counties a couple years ago. And so, Lord, the, the trauma and the terror, Lord, that they must be experiencing right now, Lord, we just ask that you would be with them. And Father, we just pray for your people that, um, that you have in strategic places. Lord, we just pray that the church right now, wherever they are in the counties that are being affected, um, Lord, that we as your people, as Jesus culture, Lord, would stand up and would help to support our neighbors, to love our neighbors, to be the, the tangible hands and feet of our neighbors, uh, Lord, so that we are showing the love of Christ, showing the love, Lord, that you have put in our hearts, that you, have, as the Bible says, have shed abroad in our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray, and we pray in the name of Jesus that right now that these winds calm down in the name of Jesus. We pray that these... Um, these fires begin to subside in the name of Jesus. We ask that you would be with our firefighters, Lord, that are on the front lines, that you would protect them. You would give them wisdom and strategies, Lord, and how to know how to fight the fire. We pray for the, the men that are having to fly the air tankers in such uh, hazardous and harsh conditions, Lord, trying to keep those planes steady in in. Uh, high gust winds, Lord, that you would be with them as they try to do their job. Because, Lord, we know also, and this is not only for our firefighters, our policemen, our first responders, Lord, they don't do it for the money. They do it that there's a part in them that shows that they want to help their fellow man, that they want to help their community, that they see others um, in harm's way and they see others that need help. And Lord, that they have a heart within them that just cannot stand by and do nothing. So we thank you for them, Lord. They're the ones that protect us, protect our homes, protect our homes from fire. Lord, when we have medical emergencies, they show up at our houses. Lord, um, we just thank you for all of them. What a blessing that we have because I've been in countries, Lord, that they had none of those. But we're blessed to live in a country, Lord, that we can pick up a phone and that we can call and if it's a fire or if it's a medical emergency or if it's a crime in progress, that we can pick up our phone and we can call. And then there are those that will come and literally put their lives on the line to help us. So we honor them today, too, as we pray, Lord, for those that need help. We just ask for in this class, Lord, that you would continue to work in our hearts and minds. Jesus, we want to have we want to think rightly about you. We want to believe rightly about you. We want to know the truth. Because Jesus, you said that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And so, Father, we are looking for Jesus. We're after the truth. We're not looking after our truth. We're not looking for somebody else's truth. We're not looking for the world's truth. But we're looking for the one and only truth that comes from you, the creator of all. It's in Jesus name we pray. 
Amen. All right. Welcome to relational care. I see some some old faces, some new faces. I wasn't looking over at your way when I said that. No, but anyway. Um, so welcome to relational care. So in relational care, the reason we have relational care is because God is a relational God. Okay, we know since the beginning of time that there was perfect relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that God created us as uh, relational beings. We were created to have relationship with the Creator and one another. The reason why relational care is so important is that whoever taught us how to do relationship? There's no class in school that teaches you how to do relationship. Right? Unfortunately, where we learn about relationship is we learn about relationship through our experiences. And so if we had, if we grew up in a place where we had love and care and nurturing, and we had a mother or a father or we had a grandmother or whatever our life uh, situation was we were growing up, and we got those things that helped us know what relationship was about, then we had some idea but pretty much most of what we get is from our childhood. And we know as imperfect human beings that we grew up with people that were imperfect. And so when you grow up with imperfect people, you just end up having imperfect things, right? And you have imperfect relationships. And so no relationship other than the Godhead is perfect but we strive to learn how to be the people that God has called us to be, to do relationship the way that God would want us to do it, to learn how to love and to care and to nurture and to respect one another. And we learn those things because we learn those things first from God. The uh, scripture says we learned how to love because God first loved us. And so, if we're gonna learn how to love, if we're going to learn how to be those people that learn how to do relationship, we're gonna to have to get it from the source of relationship. And the source of relationship is the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's my two minute plug there on relational care. So, um, so we have been dealing in a series now called Relational Seeds, What Are You Planting? This is session five. Session six, excuse me. What is God saying about you? So what we've been talking about is how words have the, um, the ability to either bring life or death, right? The Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. And so we talked about what happens when we're growing up in certain situations and people speak certain things into our lives, right? that are like seeds that get planted in our hearts. And so what we took that from Matthew, the 13th uh, chapter, where he talked about the parable of the sower. And so our hearts being fertile ground, right? The word of God being seed, and what happens when that seed hits fertile ground? So one of the things I was thinking about today was if you think about your backyard, okay? And you go into your backyard and you got weeds so high, that you know you can't even see your house because they're taller than you are. So you get out there and you hack all the weeds and you get all the weeds out of the ground, right? 
and you even get them to the, get them out of the roots and you rototill the ground and when you're done the ground is now nice and fertile and it's ready for planting right so if you don't do anything with that soil just wait a few months and what's going to happen you're going to look in the backyard again and what's going to happen your weeds are going to be back up here right so taking the weeds out of your backyard don't guarantee that the weeds don't come back so when we talk about your heart being like soil or being like that fertile ground if we started dealing with those weeds in our lives those words that were planted saying that you're no good you'll never make it because of this or your color or your ethnic background you'll never be able to achieve this and those get planted right in the in our hearts our fertile ground and those weeds grow up if we now try to come and and deal with those weeds without planting truth so think of those weeds as lies if we don't now take those lies out and now plant the truth what's going to happen after a while those weeds are going to come back up right so the whole idea of speaking of of what it is we believe we have to we have to go on this journey of what is it that we really believe and we've done that during the the, the prior weeks what do we really believe about ourselves what lies have been implanted about us that we believe you know i talked about it from um uh, from young women's standpoint you know we have stem programs and now and how women have not been given equal chance in the sciences right because they've been told that these are not places that you're supposed to go and so you talk to a young woman and say well you know you could be a scientist you can be a mathematician she may come back to you and say no i can't be that because women aren't supposed to be that right what that example is and it's an example of a bad seed that's been planted in her heart and it's been watered by society so that her potential now is negated because not only is that seed now grown up it's grown roots that says i can't do this right subsequently now that we are talking about what do we believe about ourselves we want to start taking those things out and we want to start implanting the truth and the truth is who does God say you are? And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Who does God say you are? Because the only one that has the authority to say who you are is the one that created you. So I don't even have the authority myself to be able to say who I am. Because I may be making those judgments based on what other people have told me that I'm supposed to be. This is why knowing the word being in the word, knowing what God says is so important because it helps us have a solid foundation to be able to stand on. You can't stand on any other foundation other than a solid foundation. And that solid foundation has to be based in somebody's truth. It can't be based in the world's truth because in the world today will say, well, whatever's true for you is true for you. And whatever is true for me is true for me. Well, that's the biggest hogwash I've ever heard, right? Because here's the, here's the issue. If I think that red lights are not true for me, 
right? I'm just going to drive through red lights. That's my truth. Your truth may be, you know, we all stop at red lights. My truth will be, I don't want to stop at red lights. Well, it's going to be a problem. Let me run a few red lights. And the police pull me over. And I say, well, you know, officer, I understand that. But my truth is that I just don't believe in red lights. And I just, that's just not something I'm going to follow. Well, he's going to say, I don't care what you follow, but that's the law and you're going to jail. Stopping for red lights is an absolute truth. Now, whether you believe in it or not, that's your problem. But that's in, in this country, in the United States of America, stopping at a red light is an absolute truth. Thank you. So I had a conversation with, uh, uh, with a guy at work. I wouldn't call him an atheist, but he's supposedly seeking. So anyway, we have this conversation. He gets down, he goes, well, I don't really believe in God. So I kind of laughed and I said, who told you that God needed you to believe in him? God doesn't need you to believe in him. God is God all by himself. I said, you know what? Because you don't believe in gravity. Gravity don't care if you believe in it or not. And if you don't believe in it, go up to the top of this building and jump off. <laughs> right? I guarantee you, you believe in gravity when you hit the ground. <laughs> so my friends, there is absolute truth. Right? And if we are truly truth seekers, I believe that you will end up at the one who is the truth. All right, so we started last week with going through a list that talks about who God says we are. And this is why this is so critical. Because any of us that have grown up in church and watched TV and all the different things that we do in church, we've formed opinions about who God is. And our opinions about God don't mean anything if they don't line up with who God is and who God says we are. Because the other thing we've done is we've formed opinions about ourselves. Society has formed opinions about us. Family members have, have uh, formed opinions about us. Co-workers have formed opinions about us. And subsequently, we've taken those things, and whether we realize it or not, we've formed opinions about ourselves. And so those opinions about yourself are not valid. Okay, and I'm not discounting it, but what I'm saying is it's not valid in light of who God says you are. So what we have to do is we have to go on this journey, and as I go through this list, start looking at yourself and doing the work of saying, okay, I hear that this is who God says I am. Is that what I really believe? Because there's a difference between what you know and what you believe. Because we talked about earlier that what we say dictates what we believe. What we believe dictates our behaviors. Our, our behaviors 
help to validate what we believe about ourselves. But it's one of the reasons why Jesus said, why call me Lord and not do what I say? Because what he's really saying is, okay, you say I'm Lord. You may have a knowledge of that. You may say that. But if your actions are not in line with what you say, something's wrong with your belief system. And we see it all the time. It's why we have such a hard problem in terms of being Christians, being effective in the world. Because we're good at quoting the scripture. We're good at telling you that Jesus loves you, right? But we don't do a good job of having our behavior line up with what we say. Right? That's why my thing, why I believe more in a lifestyle of evangelism. Evangelize with your lifestyle first. Then your words carry power. Because I can tell you all you want that Jesus loves you. But if I live across the street from you and I need your help and you won't help me, what does that say about what it is you believe? What it's telling me is that you don't really believe what you say. You know, one of the, one of the tangible um, examples of this is um, the owner of Chick-fil-A. So there's been an issue with Chick-fil-A and the LGBTQ community. And um, he is a living example of what a Christ follower is. Now, he believes what he believes because of what the Bible says. So they came to headquarters, the LGBT community, and they figured that they were going to um, pick it because they were going to pick it. They didn't want anything to do with him. And even now, college campuses don't want anything to do with him. So they were picketing. So he looked outside his window of his office, and they were out in the hot sun. So he directed some of his people. He said, I want you to go and get tents. And I want you to erect tents for them so that when they pick it, the sun is not going to affect them. So the next morning when they showed up, they found tents out in front of the headquarters. So the people that were picketing him were not being affected by the sun. And so they were picketing for long hours. And so he said the next day, he said, you know what? The next day they show up. I want you to have coffee and donuts there for them when they show up, mm -hmm. because I know that they're going to be hungry. Mm -hmm. So the next day, the picketers came. Not only did they find a roof there for them to protect them from the sun, they also found coffee and donuts waiting for them. Right? So they picketed, picketed. They were there from sun up to sundown. So the next day, he said, you know what? He said, I see many of them out there, and they're picketing all day long. And I know that they're hungry. So he says, what I want you to do is I want you to make sure that tomorrow, not only do they have coffee and donuts, but when it's lunchtime, I want you to make sure they're fed. And if they pick it at dinner time, I want you to make sure that they have something to eat for dinner. A week later, there were no more picketers out in front of his place. <laughs> Where it says, uh, go with your brother, as, as you're going with your brother to the magistrate, plead with them the whole way, mm -hmm. right? To make things right between you and him. And I know they're not brothers because they're picketing, but mm -hmm. at the same time, mm -hmm. that 
that kindness that and then there's that one, that kind word turned away wrath, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because you're sitting there and you're showing them the love of God mm-hmm. no matter what. Mm-hmm. They're gonna yell at you, they're gonna spit at you, they're gonna do all these things. You're sitting there showing them the love of God. Yeah. And that's what it's about. But most of us, most of us, and I'm including myself, most of us have a hard time with that. Jesus got even more radical than that. He said, if your enemy slaps you on your left, turn to him the right also. You can't get any more radical than that. But I tell you what, if your enemy ever slapped you on the left and you turn to him the right, I don't think your enemy would slap you any more than about another one or two times. Right? Because Jesus knew the power of love. The civil rights movement when Martin Luther King was based on that. It was all scriptural. It was based on scripture. He changed the heart, he changed, exactly, he changed the heart of a nation by saying, you can whip me, use hoses or whatever, I'm not going to turn, and he changed the heart of a nation. Mm -hmm. I had a situation at work where two weeks ago I had to do a performance review was trying to get one of my employees for a promotion that she didn't get before. And and then this same last week, her car broke down, her battery had died, and she came in complaining about it and everything. And I'm like, you know what, I have AAA. You know, and AAA will bring a battery and purchase a battery for them. So I walk down there with you, get my AAA, because like with AAA you get what, four calls? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, Something like that, yeah. yeah. I'll throw one of my calls or whatever. And she was just so thankful for it and everything. She got everything fixed and whatever. And I get back to my office, I get a call from my supervisor, where she kind of threw me on the bus about something, you know. So talking, going back and forth with my supervisor, she says, yeah, I see the great write-up you did for her. Cause we're going back and forth about what she threw me under the bus about. Then she asked me if I wanted to change it. Now, the only lane wanted to say, yeah, do you know what I just did for her, mm-hmm, you know? And, mm-hmm. and then I said, no, I don't. That was my review of her then. It has nothing to do with just happened today or mm-hmm. whatever, some other things like that. She said, you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. But there's still with that part of me that felt like that, okay, why did you do that? And then the Lord was reminding me because whatever you do, you do unto me. Exactly. It has nothing to do with that person. Exactly. When you went down there and sacrificed one of your calls with your way, mm-hmm. you did that unto me mm-hmm. and not to her. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm not going to lie. There was a part of me that mm-hmm. was yeah, I'm denying it right now. Yeah. And isn't that very true even for us in relationships? Especially those if we're married. We're called to sacrifice, right? But what do we do? I've been wrong and I want my rights. And so and so needs to get their act together. And you this, you this, you the other. Right? And we don't ever take on that servant's heart. Now, I'm not saying that issues in relationship are not valid. But we're servants of Christ. So, again, if we really believe that, where is that being manifested in our behavior? 
right? Because if it's not, something's not right. Something's out of balance. Jean? I really appreciate you know what you're saying, what you're talking about. But at the same time, it's um, being at home and serving is so often confusing. It's like, how long do I have to continue here in an abusive relationship? Does that mean I need to stay? Um, well, it's it's for the church. Um, so it's it's really when you look at Christ, Christ was the ultimate servant leader, mm -hmm. but he said no, mm -hmm. and and he held people accountable, mm -hmm. and he held. Um, and every time that we we talk on this type of topic, my mind goes here and there and there and here because it's not a black and white issue. Mm -mm. And we tend to make it a black and white wish issue. Mm -hmm. We make it a black, well, they're Christians. They should know better. Mm -hmm. You know, even just this last week, you know, it's like, well, they're Christians. They should know better. Why are they watching that stuff? Mm -hmm. Why? It's, um, and we tend to get into that game. Yeah. And I like what you said, and I think that's because, unfortunately, we've put this projection out if somehow or another, if we're Christian, we ought to be perfect. And many times I've said to my own men's group, you know, being a Christian is not about being perfect. It's about integrity. Mm -hmm. And integrity is going to be honest about who I am and what I'm going through and who you see. The same Joe that's up here now shouldn't be a different Joe at 11 o'clock at night when my wife's asleep and the TV's on. The same Joe that's here now shouldn't be any different when I'm sitting at work and there's a bunch of guys sitting around defiling women. Right? It's not about perfection. It's about integrity. And I think, like, sometimes, too, a lot of that is going to come with the growth and the mindset change. Because I know me personally, I struggle. Because regardless if I'm at home or at work, if somebody, if, based off my role and my position or who I am as mm -hmm. an individual, if somebody, if I don't go along and get along, mm -hmm. so they view you as being negative. Mm -hmm. Just because I have a different mm -hmm. idea than you, that mm -hmm. does not make me negative. It just means that I see things differently. Mm -hmm. So why don't you try to understand, mm -hmm. or at least act like you want to understand where I'm coming from? Because mm -hmm. I'm going to try to give you that same mutual respect and mm -hmm. try to understand where you're coming from. Because mm -hmm. we can learn from each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see what you're saying, and I really wish it was that way. <laughs> Here, part of the issue that goes on is that, again, we're all in our different places. And this is, this is not, now hear me when I say this, this is not making one better than the other. It's just different. All of us come to the table with different revelations than others, right? So in that relationship you're talking about, you may have a different revelation of what a relationship looks like 
versus the person that you're interacting with. So you're right. They should do what you're saying. But based on their family history, based on their wounds, based on whatever's going on with them, they may not have the same revelation you have. And the issue with that as Christians is, what do we do when we run into that? Because again, I think what Gene brought up is very true. None of this is black and white. This is all extreme variations of gray, right? And so we always have to go back to now the truth of God's word and God, who are you calling me to be as a servant of Christ? And how do I deal with a situation like that in the moment? And it's hard because you have your own issues that you're working on as well. Because like you say, you have this either generational or decades because yeah. like if my brother slaps me, it's going to be a reflex. <laughs> you're going to be yeah. like just mm -hmm. honestly, right? Mm -hmm. No, and, it, and, it's, and, it's, and it's difficult, and that's when, again, we have to. I've been in the Marine Corps. I've been in boot camp. And I thought boot camp, three months of Marine Corps boot camp, is like closest thing to hell on earth that I thought. And I haven't been in war, so I know that those that have been in war, that's hell on earth. But this Christian walk challenges us in ways that is extreme most of the time, you know? Because I think about, um, you think about our brothers and sisters in other countries that are being persecuted for their faith. They're having their husbands and wives taken away from them. They're having their uh, property confiscated. Some are even being killed for their faith. But yet and all, they're going to the gallows saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, I'll just be honest with you, because I know that I'm spoiled in America. We're going to have some fighting going on if that's happening, right? But again, I'm being honest with you, right? Because none of us have arrived. And Lord knows I haven't arrived. But I look at that and say, Lord, I need that kind of faith. And maybe sometimes that kind of faith doesn't show up till you get there. Maybe it doesn't show up until you get there. But like Gene said, this walk is this walk is many shades of gray. Gene, you were gonna say something? Yeah, I just um, to, to carry off of what Keisha is saying is to go back to what you started with. What are we telling ourselves in that moment, about that moment? Um, how we how we are reacting internally makes a huge difference on whether or not we're going to be able to respond Christ's way or our way. Oh, here we go again. They're never going to let me live that down. Here we go again. They never listen to what I, you know, here we go. I'm not worthy of being listened to. I'm a fool for keep speaking up. I'm a, so it's, it, it keeps going back to the foundation of understanding who we are in Christ. Yep. And understanding who Christ is enough. And we both have to go back and forth. Yep. Because there's lots of people that say, oh, I'm a child of God and I know I'm loved and everything mm -hmm. else, but they don't understand the power that they have. Mm -hmm. The power even over their thoughts. Exactly. Um, but it's not an easy power. Mm
And uh, we're not done until we're dead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, so are we handling our situations differently? Yeah. That's how we can tell whether or not our faith is growing. Are yeah. we handling our, our situations differently? Right. And is there progress between this and this? Yeah. Not do we fall back sometimes, but are we continually moving forward? Mm -hmm. Maybe half a step at a time. Yeah. You know, but are we continually moving forward? Exactly. Exactly. Well said, Jean. That's why I think when you know, we're in a crisis, we find out and others find out what we really believe about Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We find out a lot about ourselves because one of the one of the things that I run into a lot is that, and I know Ron and Jean and Ann and Dave and, and and those that counsel couples is that our Christianity looks real good until we get to crisis, and then instead of running to the one that can help us, we turn and run the opposite way. And we and so again, what does that say about what we really believe, right? Many times we believe in a fair weather God. We, live in, we believe in a fair weather Christ, right? Christ is all good and I'm blessed and everything, you know, and everything's going well. But when the marriage is falling apart, I got five cents in the bank, right? All of a sudden, God, why are you doing this to me? And again, that statement lets me know that what you think you know about God, you don't really believe about God, right? So, Andrew, go ahead, and then I'm going to get go further on this. Uh, I, I, so I grew up in a church, right? And um, my first major crisis of faith, I turned away from God. Right, and I and I, I had all these reasons why, but the fact of the matter is, I, I turned away from God because I didn't have my trust in Him. Right, um, and then some years later, and I'm still not—I still haven't even fully committed myself to Christ, um, fully committed myself back to Christ. But my uh, school shuts down, and I my entire career path would seemingly be blown up at that point, right? Mm -hmm. But instead of saying, instead of saying, well, Lord did it to me again because I walked away, and <laughs> I, I actually started saying, well, okay, this this crisis actually put me closer to God, and I said, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, then I need to get right with God, because obviously there's some stuff going on here that's in my way, and, you know, those crisis situations, yeah, they do reveal a lot about yourself. And if your if your if your faith isn't your own, mm -hmm. if your faith is something that you just put on, mm -hmm. then of course you're going to turn away because mm -hmm. obviously you have those things deep in your heart that are saying mm -hmm. well, you don't really believe, do you? Right. right? <laughs> yeah, and 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 unfortunately, we believe a lot. We believe. A lot of lies. It's interesting. Um, my men's group I met with yesterday. I met with a guy that has been a Christian for about 25 years. He he just realized yesterday that he believed love God's love for him was conditional, right? That it was based on. He had to make sure he was doing everything right. He had to make sure he was doing 
all the stuff he was going to do, because if not, God was going to be after him. Right? And where he got that, I'm sure he got it in church somewhere. Because I've been to a church that it was like that. Right? Exactly. But here's the thing. If God says, I will never leave you or forsake you, what does that mean? So as bad as things get, now they could be your own, they could be because of the consequences of your own stuff, it could be the consequences of somebody you with, it could be the consequences of somebody you don't even know. But if God says he will never leave you or forsake you, what does that mean? So you either got to believe, you either believe that or not. If you really believe it, your behavior is going to line up with what you believe, right? So we got to know the truth, and the truth will set us free. So as I read these, start thinking about, is there a lie that I'm believing? And when you hear these, take special thought to the first thing that jumps in your mind when you hear what I say. Because that would be an indication. Because many times if I hear, if you hear something like, God never leaves me or forsakes me, well, I can remember a few times God has forsaken me. If that's what I'm thinking, right? That lets you know, ooh, okay. Right? I hear that, but I don't necessarily believe that. And so what I'm talking about is these things are journeys. As Gene said, this, our whole walk is a progressive learning and growing and maturing and getting more intimate with Christ, right? So just because I read this and you go, oh yeah, that's good. I think I believe that. You need to really do, we all need to continue to do soul searching. We all need to go before the Lord and say, Lord, what is it, what is it that I really believe? And if I don't, I need to begin to go on a journey so that these things, I actually get to the point where I start to believe these things. See? There's, there's actually a neuroscience behind this. Mm -hmm. When we adopt any type of thought pattern or behavioral pattern, there's literally ruts in our brain yep. that, that happen. We need to be intentional. Yep. And purposeful in redirecting those thought patterns, and it takes a season to do that. Mm -hmm. And I hate to say this, but sometimes we have to fake it until we make it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. There's no way we're going to feel our way into a new way of thinking. Yep. We have to stand on the truth. Yep. No, we have to stand on the truth mm -hmm. and repeat it often enough mm -hmm. until we start believing it, mm -hmm. and then there's manifestation. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's why many times I instruct um, the brother I met with on Saturday, I instructed, I gave him scripture specifically that came against that thought pattern of con that God loved him conditionally. And I had him write that down on three by five cards. And I told him every morning that you get up before your feet hit the floor, you're going to read those three by five cards. You're going to carry those three by five cards in your pocket. Okay. Because what Gene is talking about is neural pathways. So as you think the same thoughts, the same thing over and over again, the ruts that Gene were talking about is you lay down these neural pathways. 
And what happens is it becomes, it almost becomes subconscious. And it happens, it, it, addictions are, are, are the thing that we know about the most. That as the addiction gets stronger and stronger, what happens is you form those neural pathways. And that's why it's very hard for addicts to come out of that addiction. They can, but like Gene says, it takes very strong, intentional, purposeful work. And you do have to fake it till you make it because let's face it, the first morning you start doing that, right? It'd be great if God pulled your brain out while you were asleep at night, rearranged everything, slapped your brain in your head, and you woke up the next morning and go, what? Praise the Lord. All that stuff is gone. I'm a new person. Wow. And he does do that occasionally. But I suggest that you do some of the work also. Right? A lot of times, the walking out of that, in the learning of that, mm -hmm. God will reveal things to you so that at a later time, when you see a brother or sister struggling, you can say, let me walk with you. Mm -hmm. Let me show you what God's done in my life yep. so that I can help you. Yep. That's why many times your greatest ministry comes out of your greatest pain. Right? Okay, so let's try to get a few of these before we close. So, uh, this truth. My old self was crucified with Christ. I am no longer a slave to sin. We know that our old, and here's the scripture, Romans 6, 6. We know that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin would no longer dominate us so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So what do you believe about that? Okay, because he says we're no longer a slave to sin. Those that are not in Christ are slaves to sin. If you are a slave to something, you do that and you have no choice in the matter. Right? He says you are no longer a slave. So he didn't make you a robot. But what that means is you have now the ability not to sin. If you do, you have an advocate with the Father whose blood was shed on Calvary for you that will give you forgiveness of sins, that you can be washed clean. You don't have to carry those sins around, but you are no longer a slave to sin. Do you believe it? Here's another one. I will not be condemned by God. I will not be condemned by God. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you really believe that? I met with a brother yesterday. He could quote that to you. Right? But he was stuck in a works mentality. He felt like he had to earn it, and if he didn't, he was going to be condemned. Next one. I have been set free from the law of sin and death. I have been set free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8.2 For the law of the life-giving Spirit of Jesus Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. You're free. 
Do you walk like free people? Do you talk like free people? Do you act like free people? If you don't, maybe you don't really believe that statement. Here's the next one. I, as a child of God, am a fellow heir with Christ. I, as a child of God, am a fellow heir with Christ. Romans 8, 17. And if the children then heirs, namely heirs of God and also fellow heirs with Christ, if we indeed suffer with him, so we may be glorified with him. The next one, I have been accepted by Christ. A lot of us have an issue with this one. I have been accepted by Christ. Receive one another then just as Christ has also received you to God's glory. Do you really believe that? Lee? We once uh, were members of a church where um, we were taught a lot of good things, a lot of awesome things about who God is and really what his desire is for us. But in that delivery was a lot of rules about how to grow in Christ and what that ought to look like. A lot of standards, which standards are not bad. I mean, let's face it. If we didn't have standards, for example, I could be, you guys could be looking at me like this because the floor is, is crooked because there weren't any standards for the building, right? So standards are good. They're, 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 they're like boundary lines, right? They're, they, the Bible calls the law a tutor. They are a tutor. But once you've learned, right, you don't need the tutor anymore because the Lord expects that you will live by the spirit of Christ. And when we left that church and had begun, I think we were here already and had, there was an occasion, there was an event and every once in a while, we all get together again, even people that are still going to that church. And we asked one of the sisters uh, who still attends that church or who was attending that church at that time, how she was doing and you know, and she was like, you know what, hey, I'm doing really well. Um, and I just realized that I have to stay here. And I was like, well, why? Why do you feel like you have to stay? You know, because she asked us how we were doing. We're like, hey, we're cool. Everything's going well. You know, God is really showing us a lot of um, a lot of freedom and there's a lot of grace in our life. And she's like, no, I, I got to stay here. I'm like, why? And she said, because I really need the boundaries that are preached here every Sunday. I need them in order to live because I know myself. If I do not have those things, those tapes in my head, in my walk, I will violate what God's preference is for us. So we all know who we are, what issues we deal with, what challenges we face, what kind of struggles we have, Right. And there are those times where, you know, you put yourself on a schedule. Um, Anna and I did propel a, a month ago. And the thing, the lesson that time was about doing a schedule. And you can become very legalistic about your schedule. 
I got to, if I don't get up at 5.30 in the morning, it's a total fail. You know, that's a type of a, of a standard, right? But if I keep looking at it as a total fail, how much will I accomplish the rest of my day? Because I'm constantly looking backwards at my failure. And that was the way my, my sister in the Lord was living. She kept looking back at her past failings and trying to use them to help her hold on to the boundary line so that she did not violate the Lord's standard. Now, I, I'm not saying, I can't say what it is she needed to do, you know, or what she needs to do for the continuous part of her life. But I know that there came a point in my life walk with the Lord where I had to trust that Jesus had me. I had to trust that Jesus loved me. I had to trust that he had good for me. And so I had to begin to also trust that I loved him more than I loved my sin. Because I needed to remove my sin from the view of my lens and stop looking back at my sin so that I could look at the love he gave me and I could freely look at the love that he put in my heart to give back to him and let that be the thing that freed me to live and not be living by this, this, I got to live by the rule. I got to live by the rule. Because the Bible says that those who do not trust him, right? Those who do not have faith in him, those who do not believe in him, cannot please him. He's a reward of those who diligently seek him as well. So there's a part in that where I'm hungering and saying to him, you know what? I am not the best at living this Christian life. I, I, I'm not. But Lord, do you, would you please help me? Because I really, really do love you. I want to love you in a way that you've loved me. And I know I'll never be able to exactly do that, but I want to keep, I want to keep that fervency going. So we want to encourage you guys that there is life. Ron always described it to us as there is life on the right side of the cross, right? On the right side of the cross, meaning living with your face forward, looking ahead at what God has for you in grace and not back at your sin and trying to live according to, well, I better not do that again. How many know that whatever you stare at long enough is what you're going to end up doing? If I'm looking at how the car in the other lane is driving, I'm going to end up driving like them because I'm not really paying attention to my lane. So just want to encourage you guys. Um, we'll finish up with this, and I'm going to have Jean come forward because she has a couple of things. Um, why this is so important, I'm going to piggyback on, on what Leona said. In relationships... When we look at, and why the cross is so important, is when we look at ourselves and the wounds and the hurts that we have and the imperfectness of ourselves, and we see that Christ has accepted me the way that I am. If I don't get that deep in my heart, Right, implanted in my heart. The same legalism that Leona talks about is what we'll begin to inflict on others. We'll, get, we'll begin to inflict that on our mate. We'll begin to inflict that on our children, on our family members, because that's what we're looking at. Okay. 
But when we get a picture of the cross, when we get a picture of grace, when we get an understanding that of while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When I look at that and I understand that this is what he has done for me, it changes my outlook on what I need to do for her. Because many times we get caught up in, this is the way that I think this should be, and this is the way that I think things should be, and we get up, get caught up in this I, 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 I. If Christ thought about I, we'd all be in big trouble. When I talked to the men yesterday, I said, guys, we have to get, we have to be so overwhelmed by the cross that it changes the way that we look at everything. Because when we realize that not only did we not want Jesus, we hated him, we spit on him, we didn't want anything to do with him, he still came down and lived. And then when you think of he gave all that up, created the universe, he gave all that up to come down and be like this and suffer the same hurts and wounds and pains and temptation. Because Hebrews talks about he's now our high priest. Because he came down and he suffered this, he's like, I know exactly what those human beings are going through. I'm not like a God sitting up here going, well, you know, I've never been a human being, so I have no idea what they're going through, right? Jesus says, now I can intercede for you because guess what? That's why Christmas is so beautiful. And every year Christmas gets so much more beautiful for me because I understand the depth of, wow, really? This is a God that left everything, right? And still they hated him. They spit on him. They did all that. And when they put him on the cross and they still hate him, he said, Father, forgive them because for they don't know what they're doing. As he was bleeding, when we get a we get a picture of that, and then I turn and I look at my wife, the same one that he died for, the same one that has hurts, the same one that has pains, the same one that has frustrations, and Christ and I have to have some kind of compassion and say, I know what you're going through. You know why? Because I'm suffering the same thing. Now my hurts might be different, but I'm still hurt. I'm still wounded. I'm, st I'm still broken in so many areas. So as your husband, let me come alongside and let us walk through this together. Instead of me standing over here going, well, you should be doing this and you can't do that. I don't know why she's doing this. She always got this attitude. Ah. Again, what is it that I believe? Right? Because if I really believe what happened on cross on that cross for me, it's going to change the whole way that I look at her.